It is that time where we uh, do the anatomy of a crime. Take a look at the anatomy of a crime. We bring in Dave Perry, who's got oodles and oodles of experience on the Homicide Squad. And now, of course, is our Global News Radio crime and security analyst. Hello there. Hello, Alex. Um, We're going to start on Monday, of course, the sentencing phase of the Bruce MacArthur situation. And he pleaded guilty, if you haven't heard, uh, on Monday to all eight counts of first-degree murder, which is unique in itself. So he will be going to jail. Now it's just a matter of, you know, how long does he get to stack sentences consecutive? What's he going to do? And, uh, Dave, a big part of that will be hearing from those whose lives were torn apart by this man. Um, What goes in, because you have spent time with those who are left behind, the victims' families and that, what goes into the process of writing those? Yeah, that's a very personal and emotional process whereby the uh, the victims, uh, the family of the victims are are asked to fill out an impact statement. And, you know, it's it's really their moment, if you will, to put down in writing what it is they want to say to the judge and and therefore to the public about how much their their lives have been ripped apart by what's happened. For me, sometimes it's the most difficult part of the process. It's emotional when you're dealing with uh, families of victims, you know, face-to-face, the night of, the day of, the loss and the murder of their loved one. But sometimes it's even more difficult, uh, in this case, a year after the arrest, in some cases two or three years after Mm -hmm. the arrest, to hear all that emotion still pouring out of people. And and when they get up and testify and use their victim impact statement as a guide, it's it's heart-wrenching. So I would expect that we're going to hear uh, from a lot of people who are completely devastated by the carnage that uh, Bruce MacArthur has caused. One of the uh, interesting things about this case is that, um, you know, those who were involved in this case, of the eight men that were killed that we know of, a lot of them were either new Canadians, refugees, there may have been language barriers. There may be some real uh, problems and challenges for those who are going to have to either come in from other cities and or, uh, you know, navigate their way around the system. So this one's a bit more unique where they don't, not everyone is going to be, you know, connected to this particular community. For sure. But I think this case has impacted the city as a whole and everybody has watched this unfold right across the country. So, um you know, it's it's almost small town, if you will, the the gay village. And mm-hmm. when you map it out and you look at the size uh, of the footprint in the city of Toronto, it's it's rather insignificant uh, in terms of the the size of it. But there's such a large number of people. There's such a, a closely connected community. It it impacted every single one of them. So it almost has that small town feel. It's impacted all of them in the most significant way. And it's nice that as we're coming to some closure here with the sentencing coming next week, that there seemed to be drawing even closer and and starting to breathe a sigh of relief that he's finally you know made an indication on he's he's gone ahead and done the plea. And the last part now is is uh, sometimes the most difficult part: hearing from the victims' families and yeah. from their loved ones. And uh, you know, I think that by the time this is finished that community can finally start moving forward, start to, to feel a real sense of closure and, yeah. and uh, get through the next phase, which is going to be the, the very public review of the police investigation. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because we will learn more next week. The uh, agreed statement of facts was an abbreviated form. Uh, so we will learn in the next week uh, more of what he did to his, his victims, to those eight men. Interestingly, you had been working kind of behind the scenes, uh, looking into this case, uh, you know, before 
before he was even arrested. And you had worked on the on the belief, even though that wasn't widely shared by maybe um, other people within the police force, that we were looking at a serial killer. Yeah, I certainly shared the same concerns as the community in that I believe that it was a serial killer. It's anybody with, um, you know, a decent amount of homicide experience and experience in violent crime and serial behavior could see this one coming. And I'm just going to say it out loud. I, I fully believe that one of the things that will come out in this review is that the Toronto Police Homicide Squad, for which I'm an, an alumni member, were way ahead of this, even though they weren't stating it publicly. They were way ahead of this. And uh, if, if you'll recall, Alex, the first project was called Project Houston. Yes. And that there was a reason for that. And uh, the whole reason was in that name is that the investigators were saying, Houston, we have a problem. They were recognizing, even though they had no evidence to prove it, they recognized very early on that there was a high likelihood that the first two or three disappearances were connected to a serial killer. And, you know, even though that never got them anywhere and the case went cold when there started to become the, the next series of people that went missing, they started Project PRISM. And I truly believe that when they, they dig through the details, you'll, you'll hear and you'll see that the police were also treating that particular project as though, again, they had a serial killer. And they blended those two projects together and they continued working until they finally got the clue or, or the tip that they needed to, to get onto the right person. So I think it'll be a, a really significant and an important piece of the healing process between the police and the gay community. And I think, I'm just going to make this prediction out loud, there, there will be mistakes made. There isn't just about every long protracted complex homicide investigation, mm -hmm. but those, those mistakes will be rather minor in nature in terms of the overall investigation, all of the dedication and hard work that went into this case to solve it. Yeah. And, and I think that's going to help the community heal when they realize that you know, in a vacuum, I completely understand why the, the community feels like the, perhaps they weren't treated or taken as seriously as they should have been. And I think the review and when they, they see, you know, the amount of effort and all of the search warrants and production orders and the project teams that were put together and hearing from officers how devastated they were uh, working through this case. And especially once they arrested MacArthur and had to deal with, you know, recovering yeah. fragments of human remains that... I think the community is going to see that the officers had all the due care and, and caution and compassion for that community that they should have. And I, I really predict and I really believe that's what's going to happen. I want to play you a piece of audio because Catherine McDonald um, has sat down with the one man who was the last man, I think that was with Mr. MacArthur. This was, uh, in case no one uh, is familiar with this, Police were surveilling uh, Bruce MacArthur, and there was one morning in J January of 2018 where they were watching his apartment, and they saw a man go in, and they stopped the investigation because they believed that that man was going to become another victim, and they moved in, and they found him uh, passed out, hogtied on Bruce MacArthur's bed, and it wasn't till Dave... After the fact that this man realized through the evidence that they found on the computer that that this man was very much posed, there was a knife put to his neck. But I want you to listen to what he said about the police and how he views the police on this matter. The police come into a lot of uh, criticism and stuff, but I've got to say, I, from my opinion, and this, I don't speak for the gay community, I don't speak for anyone but myself, that they did... This wasn't about race. This wasn't about social 
um, sexual orientation. This was about them doing their jobs to the best of their ability, given the evidence they had. And um, I, I think they did a stellar job. So this guy, um, very much, I think, what he's been through. I mean, I can only imagine when you're finally looking back at the crime and you're seeing the evidence. And I would think that, and I don't know this, you could tell me this as a police officer, would the police have shown this man this is what was about to happen to you? I mean, that to me has to be, for this man, an unbelievable, what he's got to get through is unbelievable. But at the same time, the connection he must feel with the police because the police saved his life. I think the police did save his life, and, and Alex, without boring you with a long story, the reason I became a police officer is because I grew up hearing a story about how the, a police officer saved my life as an infant. Mm -hmm. I smothered in my crib, and it was a police officer that actually saved my life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've got a connection to law enforcement and policing I have for my entire life as a, as a result of that, and I think this gentleman's going to have the same kind of a connection. And, and what's important, I mean, there's a lot of healing that has to go on in the community. I totally understand, you know, the perspective uh, of the fact that, you know, perhaps they didn't feel as supported as they should have been. But having been there and ha having worked in these projects, I don't know a single police officer. I never have known a single police officer who would ever conduct themselves in a way that in a case like this with men disappearing, yeah. with the suspicion of potentially having a serial killer involved, that they would say, well, you know, it's just the, the gay village, so therefore we don't have to put in a 100% effort. It's just the opposite. I could see the pain on these investigators' faces. They were doing the, the media scrum after the guilty plea. You can see the wear and tear on them and how mm -hmm. much this has drained all of them. I can guarantee you that they didn't see much of their own families for a long period of time. I was there. Many of my colleagues have been there. And they put their heart and soul into this investigation. And I, I hope that rings loud and clear f through the review. And I hope that in some way it helps bring brings the police and the gay community a little closer together. And I, I think there has to be an awful lot of talk. There yeah. has to be a full examination and transparency. And uh, I'm, I'm convinced that at the end of the day, this review will do more to help uh, build the bridge between the police and this community than it will any of anything else. Yeah, because I mean, because I have the experience of doing both um, the crime side of things and the courts, I've seen the cases come together, put together. So I've seen all that stuff. But I don't think a lot of people remember or factor in the, you know, guys like yourself, the investigators on this particular team, they would have gone through all of the evidence. The things that they have seen are not things that we could ever possibly imagine. And so all of the estimate, uh, uh, testimony and evidence and, and the pictures, I mean, we know that MacArthur kept trophies. God knows what they have seen as far as images and pictures. That stuff all stays with them. They have seen things that nobody should have to see. And You've seen, seen things that no one should have to see. <laughs> yeah, my family sometimes questions me about some of my behaviors. Mm. And they get to understand that, uh, yeah, dad's carrying around some baggage. And, uh, you know, it takes it takes a long time, Alex, for... Uh, investigators, you know, after retirement, and I've been retired for a good number of years now, but it takes an, a, a long time for you to actually, you know, drop the shield and, and allow yourself to feel some of the things that normally people should feel when you see horrific things. And, and it's, it's quite a, it's quite a journey, if you will. And I'm, I'm more open about, uh, you know, some of the things that I've seen and how that's impacted my life than I, than I was certainly while I was still a police officer. You know, it's your job to be stoic and to keep the shields up and to be calm, cool and collected in situations where most people would be screaming. Yeah. Because they're seeing things that are absolutely horrific. And, 
you know, that has an impact on you. And I, I'm, I'm worried about a number of the police officers that work in this case and, and how they're going to do in terms of their mental health. And I, I watched the news with fascination about uh, one of the officers who was the dog handler that was brought up to Mallory Crescent, and it impacted him in such a significant way. He, he was down uh, listening like so many people to the guilty plea because yeah. this case impacted him so significantly. And he was just so darn proud to be part of you know, solving the case through the actions that he took and, and quite frankly, the actions of his police partner that, that was, you know, a cadaver dog yeah. that was actually picking up on the traces of human remains. It's, it's horrific and it's horrible, but it, at least uh, in his view, and I, I agree with him, he was, he was proud to be part of that to help the community heal and to bring some resolution to this horrible case. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's, uh, I've got to end on that note, but look, there's one image, Randall Dooley covered that trial in 2002. Yes, I think I, I think of his well. autopsy picture every single day. So there's certain things that you just don't forget, but it's uh, it does it, they do tend to stay with you. Yeah, and it's best that we leave some of that locked yeah. away in the heads of the investigators because yeah. it's not something that's really easy to talk about and I speak publicly all the time and I I still try and tailor what I say because the things that we we were tasked with very difficult things and saw very horrible things and and, and I try not to share those in too much detail with uh, with people that I care about, and and that includes the public. So yeah. we're always a little bit guarded, and I think uh, all of us are going to have our eyes open a little bit next week when the sentencing happens. For sure. We will talk again, and I thank you for uh, the behind-the-scenes th- look. Thanks a lot, Dave. Always a pleasure, Alex. That is uh, Dave Perry. We do this uh, every week. Uh, there's just so many different fascinating angles to these uh, pieces, you know, these headlines that come into our lives, and then you kind of think they're gone, and you wonder, well, how did that happen, and how did this go down? Gives you a different perspective. To your on point, I'm Alex Pearson. This is Global News Radio.